Hello, welcome to the Pyramid Podcast, where three lads discuss all things the English football pyramid. On today's episode, we'll have a review of the Carabao Cup action and the boys' trip to Old Trafford. We'll preview the Premier League action, including a big game at St James's Park between Newcastle and Arsenal. We'll look ahead at the fixtures from the Championship, including the new Pyramid Pod Cup holder Southampton at Millwall. And Laurel will talk us through Yeovil's FA Cup round one tie, hosting National League side Gateshead. I'm your host, Alex Murphy, and once again, I'm joined by Tom Lawrence and Tom Gallagher. Uh, boys, we'll start with the uh, Carabao Cup, and you, you boys, obviously travelled up to Old Trafford for the game. Tom, I'll come to you first. Um, obviously, looked pretty dire on TV. United's display, uh, but Newcastle looked great. Bit of insight from being live at the stadium. Um, where do I start? <laughs> um, that is the worst I've ever witnessed um, in person. Uh, go up a couple times a season, usually. Um, and been lucky enough not to not to see us lose. Um, but that was just honestly from front to back, manager, players, everything. It was terrible. Um, I was really impressed with Lewis Hall and really impressed with Tino Libramento. Um, they were unbelievable on the night. But it's it's basically a performance where I kind of start to think the players are down in tools to the extent where they they almost want to get rid of the manager and I'm I'm starting to now put two and two together and thinking the reason why Harry Maguire didn't lead, like force a move in 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 the summer might be because he thought that he'll last longer than Ten Hag and exactly the same with Sancho now Sancho's not apologizing because he probably thinks like that it's almost like they know something we don't, and it seems like the players are just not having him. Um, but yeah, it's an utter shambles, mate. And I, I don't see it getting any better anytime soon. Lauro, obviously, a bit more of a impartial view on it. Um, United looked terrible, but you must have been impressed with Newcastle. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the caveat is it was second string against second string. I think. United and Newcastle probably both made seven or eight changes, but yeah, my God, Newcastle second string is a lot better than United's, that's for sure. And I agree, Livermento was really good. Almiron didn't start, but he came on after like five minutes. They actually started Matt Ritchie and Matt Target as the two sort of wide forwards Newcastle, which is quite cocky in itself going to Old Trafford in a cup game. Uh, but Amron came on and just the, him and um, Willock sort of and uh, Lewis Hall linking up down that left-hand side absolutely tore the lot to shreds. Um, there was very, very little going forward from a Man United point of view to to really be able to talk about. But every time Newcastle broke out, they just managed to put something together and take their chances. And they, they were a lot better. But one thing I noticed just about being at Old Trafford, is I thought, particularly at like two or three nil down, I thought it would be like really negative in the stands. And obviously that, you know, people weren't happy. And we were stood, I think, we were in the stand in sort of singing bit above the tunnel. So probably in, in and around where maybe the hardcore are. But it wasn't even really negative. It was more just like apathy. It was mm. more like now we're just, we're used to being absolutely crap. We're still going to sing because this doesn't shock us. And like Tigo said, they're not just the players. Like you look at the managers... You've got Eddie Howe and uh, Mad Dog, Jason Tindall on the sidelines, like barking instructions and making all these hand signals, etc., to their team. And then you just got Ericton Hag with his coat on, hands in his pocket, like chin under his zip, just looking at the floor, basically, and did hardly move. He's like a mannequin the whole game. So 
it's definitely an issue, isn't it, from top to bottom? But you still have to say that tactically, United are absolutely shocking in, in every single department. And another thing I'll say is, having watched them live, if there is a problem there, I don't think Harry Maguire is the biggest one. I thought he was one of the better players for United on um, on Wednesday night, to be honest with you. But yeah. <laughs> Second thing, second string v second string. So obviously you can't get too carried away of it. But what's that? An eighth defeat of the season, I think, now for Man United, and no sign of it turning around anytime soon. I don't think. I, uh, I actually think that the second string versus second string is is a problem though, because I think Man United's there's always been a little bit of a defense of Man United this season of oh well we've not had Wan Bissaka, we've not had. Uh, Varane, we've not had Martinez, we've not had Shaw, that's our back four. If any other side had their whole back four out, then they'd be equally as struggling. But this was a genuine second string versus second string where it just kind of proved the actual players are so down in the culture of it. I've seen um, something on Twitter um, or X yesterday or la late last night, uh, which is that Ten Hag's having one-to-one meetings with the players over yesterday and today to find out kind of what's wrong and things like that and that just seems to me like last minute desperation doesn't it um where you're getting your players in uh into one-to-one -one meetings to be like you know what's going on what do we think we can change and that sort of thing so um I've also seen that they're waiting to I know, I know it keeps going back to kind of the ownership and this culture top to bottom but apparently like they're they're really trying to get through this Jim Ratcliffe move and see what this Ineos kind of culture and way of working is going to be and what that means for Ten Hag, whether they're having him, whether they think his job's in trouble, whether they're actually really happy to give him time. So, yeah, he Ten Hag must be getting zero sleep. Murph, just another thing to say is United did, to be fair to them, they did play with 10 men because um, Martial didn't play, did he? No. He just wasn't involved at all. And Newcastle, we were thinking like they probably won't want to risk Wilson from the start and Isaac's injured. Who are they going to start up front? They played Anthony Gordon through the middle. And the difference between even him, who, who's a wide player really, and Martial, who's supposed to be a striker for United, albeit spent time on the sides as well, it was just chalk and cheese. Like he 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 was like a like a, a marauding midfielder who just wouldn't let anything die, chased everything, made some really good runs. If you watch the Willock goal where he, Willock in itself is poor. He dispossesses Amrabat and just waltzes from the halfway line to the edge of the box before he scores. But in front of him, Anthony Gordon's making a run, taking a defender the other way. And little things like that. You don't, Martial doesn't do it. No space is created for Man United because no one's making these runs. It's yeah. whether they don't want to or whether they, they're just not good enough and haven't got the football brains to see it, I don't know. But there's little incidences all over the pitch all game where Newcastle just showed up United in a massive way in terms of how to play football, basically. And uh, any possession that Man United did have was fruitless and nothing was ever going to come of it. And I can't, I can't remember any chances, really, for United at all. Yeah. No. Just a quick just a quick story before we move on. And it, I think it sums up United's um, malaise as a club quite well. And that is the, the signing of Anthony. Um, at the start of last summer... Ajax wanted 60 million quid for him. And the United hierarchy turned around and said, no, no, that's way too much. He's not worth that. He's not worth that. So we're not going to come in for him. United then go on and lose their first two games of the season and it's panic stations. And Eric Ten Hag digs his heels in and says, no, this is a player I want. So Ajax said, okay, well, if you want him now, you can have him for 80, 90 million. And United panic and say, yeah. And that just sums it up from top to bottom. 
we've overspent. Well, I reckon he, Anthony's not even worth 50 million, but we've overspent 20 million um, in the space of two months just because sort of, of the planning is not there. The recruitment, the level of recruitment's not there. And United back themselves into a corner where you where you, you have no choice but to back your manager because obviously he was only there for the, that was only two months into his reign. Um, but yeah, from top to bottom, terrible. Anthony Martial's on 250 grand a week, which is honestly, Murph, you would have done a better job than him on 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 Wednesday. It was it was dreadful. And um it's yeah, it's severely depressing as a United fan. Yeah, it is, but we say it every week, Tomo, and I think that just highlights that kind of what we've spoken about about the difference in clubs at the minute. Newcastle, you know, it does man for man those teams in regards to raw ability and money spent and that sort of thing would have been way less than uh, United's. But you look at the way that you know Willock, people like that. I mean, Eddie Howe touched on Kraft, who's not played kick to football in a couple of years, just coming in and looking Rolls Royce for ninety minutes, just complete chalk and cheese how those two clubs are run at the minute so and you've got to praise up Newcastle we we always sit and slag off Man United but they're just getting turned over by way better football clubs and sides at the minute aren't they yeah and actually just quick just quickly I wanted to say that Tino Livermento was so good that I'm I I think that he that's that's a big problem for them moving forward because obviously Trippier is their captain and best player really um so it'd be interesting to see how Tino can get more games because he was that good and he got man of the match in the in the previous rounds against Man City. He got man of the match against United. He was like unbelievable. But that's another example of their sort of recruitment and their squad planning. You've got a young up-and-comer who might not be kicking down doors because he's not playing every single minute. And then you've got a, an experienced Kieran Trippier who over the next couple of years may get eased out, but that will do his career good because <clears throat> his career longevity good because he won't be playing every single minute of every game. Um, so that's another another sign of how different clubs are run. I think Livramento is going to end up playing a lot in midfield this year. Obviously now they've lost Tonali as well for the season. He's so good on the ball. And I remember the first time I ever watched Livramento was for Southampton in a pre-season friendly a couple of years ago. And he played yeah. midfield for Southampton that day. It might have been against Chelsea where he came from. I'm not can't remember now, but he was unbelievable. And like they won one nil, and it came from like this beautifully threaded pass. And if you look at the first goal on Wednesday, Livermore picks it up at right back, but just marauds straight through the entirety of Man United, and then has the presence of mind to find the ball into where on to set up the first goal. So I actually think there's room for Livermore. They might try him at left back. They they can use him sort of uh, fleetingly with Trippier at right back, but I think there's a a space for him in that midfield at points as well this season. Um, yeah. And just to quote, you know, Teagle's sort of use of the word microcosm. You talk about Anthony costing however many millions of pounds. Well, Newcastle started a 34 year old Matt Ritchie on the right hand side on uh, on Wednesday night, and they won the game three nil. So, like you say, it's the it's individuals, but it's the whole thing collectively, isn't it? Which is the problem. Yeah, I, I saw we we <clears throat> us boys have obviously got a couple um mates who are Newcastle fans. I saw uh one of them had retweeted something about Matt Ritchie at 34 years old. I think he went and ran like 10 kilometers in that game, like was just all over the place. Um played really well. Uh, and that's just kind of yeah, the sign of it. Great point on Livermento as well. And also, um, I know you touched on him, but Lewis Hall as well. They're like 
they're like recruiting two years ahead or a year ahead Newcastle aren't they which is a great place to be whereas United are very reactionary to we need people in these positions now they've already got Lewis Hall and Livramento for the next five years who might be their left and right back um, for, for that next sort of five to ten years period but also both look equally capable of stepping into midfield which fullbacks tend to do now so great yeah, so just just quickly on that that arguably that Saudi Arabia's best signing at Newcastle at Newcastle has been Dan Ashworth because he's taken over the football side of it and like you say just completely runs the show that side of it and yeah, they look like a, a well-run outfit. And he was he the guy from Brighton? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you can see the value in having someone in that position that's fucking capable of doing a job that may be another area that Man United lacking massively. I've seen that part of it, it's all sort of hearsay, but I've seen part of United's plan of this takeover if, if Ratcliffe gets 25% and they take over football operations is to get... Uh, Dave Brailsford, who obviously did the Team GB cycling and coined all of that kind of 1% marginal gain stuff, is for him to take over kind of behind the scenes stuff like the culture and the science and all of that sort of thing. But to, I think, is it Paul Mitchell, Tomo, who has been like at Monaco and places like that as a football and sporting director who then would take over that side? Um, one of the criticisms of Ten Hag is he's had too much rain about which players come in for Man United and maybe his talent ID has been a bit off with who he's ended well, up signing. This is what this what is. There's a vacuum of leadership at United above the manager. So every single time we've brought in a manager, like people people say, well, you back the manager. Like we, we bought in Mourinho's type of players. Then we bought in Solskjaer type of players. Now we're bringing in Ter- Eric Ten Hag type of players. And it's because, like you just said, there's a complete vacuum of leadership above the manager. And, yeah. And... That's all well and good if the manager's if it's successful, but what once it's not and it starts going wrong and you have to sack the manager, then the next manager's sort of sat in a dressing room with with players he doesn't want. Um, yeah, yeah. And there's no sort of forward planning and like yeah. Anyway, look, come on. <laughs> yeah, let's move on because it's yeah. uh, <laughs> same every week with United. Um, boys, just to to round up the another result in the Carabao Cup and move on to I'll quickly read through the quarterfinals just a shout out to West Ham um, who beat Arsenal 3-1 to move forward to the quarterfinals great result for West Ham played really well scored some uh, good goals looked like Ramsdale had a bit of a shocker for for one of them so that won't do him any good but um, Mikel Arteta came out apologised I think after the game said it was on him Um, he obviously relied on his second string uh, inverted commas to for a game like that because he needs squad rotation and I think he's his kind of point is he doesn't want those players now coming and knocking his door down about getting their chance in the first team um, when when they lose like that but um, yeah great result for West Ham and that means quarterfinal ties so that, Chelsea... pisses, that, that really pisses me off that does why why is he apologising West Ham basically played their first team except for James Ward-Prowse and I think Kurt Zuma yeah. and Arsenal play second string Okay, it was a bad, bad result, bad performance. But why are you apologising? Like Arsenal, you're doing well this year. I just fucking hate this sorry culture of apologising for everything. Is like, it a little dig? Is it a little dig at Ramsdale? Because Ramsdale played the game, didn't he? That was his first game back since yeah. Why uh, came in? Is it look? Told you, brought Ramsdale back in and lost three one. So <laughs> making yeah, up I... for his massive lie earlier in the season, saying it was going to be like an in and out type thing. I imagine he's probably looked at United going out, City going out, and then looking at the quarterfinals 
um, albeit they would have gone to Liverpool in the next round um, in with how the draw went, but maybe just thought, but I mean, now that was an opportunity for a, a trophy. Obviously, he's won FA Cups and things like that, Arteta, and they're in the title race and doing okay in the Champs League. But you say Pep's always like ticking that trophy off in sort of February, March time, and getting that first one of the season and getting that winning mentality. So maybe he's just seen it as a bit of a uh, opportunity lost, but. Yeah, so those quarterfinals, boys, Chelsea versus Newcastle, Everton versus Fulham. <clears throat> really nice tie in regards to someone getting through to the semi-finals because Port Vale hosts Middlesbrough. So we'll have a uh a, a very least a championship side uh in the semi-finals. So it'd be great for Michael Carrick if they can beat Port Vale. And then Liverpool host West Ham, um, which another big tie for West Ham. They're having to do it the hard way in cups once again. Uh, we'll move on to the weekend's Premier League action. And we've just spoke at length about uh, Newcastle and touched on uh, Arsenal as well. But Newcastle host Arsenal uh, at St. James's Park. Laurie, that looks like a massive fixture and a big hurdle for Arsenal. Yeah, I think when you're talking about teams that fancy themselves as title challengers, there's a couple of fixtures every season that you look at and you think, oh, if you're going to win the league, you're probably going to have to go there and do something. And Newcastle is one of those that will be a good measure, I think, for how likely they are to go on and be competing for the title right up until the end of the season this year. Because if City was going to Newcastle, everyone would fancy City to win the game. But with Arsenal, you think to yourself, oh, that's a 50-50 really. And they're probably going to have to come out of a bit of a life and death and hope to be on the right side of it. One thing I will say is, although I know it's the Carabao Cup and a lot of changes were made, the sort of um, aura around Newcastle coming off a win at Old Trafford is going to be a lot better than the feeling around Arsenal after losing 3-1 to West Ham and the manager coming out and apologising and almost creating a little bit of a divide in the first-team players and the, the sort of second-string backup players. So it'd be an interesting one to see how it plays out. I'm glad it's on telly. Newcastle, 5.30 again, Saturday. So congrats to the Saudis for prime time with that one. And yeah, I, look, I don't. I think that's just a game we can sit back, enjoy, see how it plays out, and it will give us a good indication of where probably both sides are, but certainly Arsenal's title credentials. And I'm really struggling to, uh, you know, I won't be betting on that game because I'm struggling to think which way I think that's going to go. I think any result is possible and nothing would be surprising. Come on. Yeah, I kind of, I, I fancy Newcastle just for the St. James's Park effect. Um, like Laura just said, the, both both the teams will be coming in their um, opposite sides of the scale, if you know what I mean. Although Arsenal play their first team, so I suppose they won't be too affected by the West Ham result. Um, Callum Wilson hasn't scored in his last nine league games against Arsenal. Um, so he's got a bad record there. And obviously we spoke about in the podcast before, didn't we, about him getting a goal every 60 minutes in the Premier League. So basically him coming up against a bogey team in terms of goal scoring um, in great form. And obviously he, I think he only got five minutes on against United. So he'll be fit and far and ready to go. I was just having a look at the head-to-heads and um, Arsenal. I know head-to-heads not a, not a be-all and end-all, especially considering... Newcastle's new ownership's only been there a couple couple years, but um, Arsenal basically always beat Newcastle to nil. Um, they've kept 30 clean sheets against um, Newcastle in the Premier League, which is the most by any club ever. Um, so it'd be interesting, but I, I just fancy Newcastle, like you say, 
coming off the back of a famous win at Old Trafford and the St. James's Park um, effect. And like you say, 5.30, going to be a cauldron. Yeah, I fancy Newcastle. Yeah, I um, I completely agree that it would be a cauldron. Newcastle would be up for it. The only thing I would say is, obviously, we're maybe getting carried away with them taking apart United midweek. They've still got quite a few first-team injuries, haven't they? So it's going to be full strength versus as full strength as you can be. Um, and there's a few missing for for Newcastle. But, um, yeah, just has a feeling that Newcastle will grind one out there. They normally, I know they're always on at half five, but it's normally that sort of like, get a decent win at St. James's Park and then the crowd's bouncing. They've got the music player and they're all doing a lap of the pitch. So, yeah, I can just envisage that. Um, and I think, obviously, teams like Spurs, Arsenal and Man City will be looking at that as a potential drop points for Arsenal. So, yeah, I will agree with you with that. I uh, just touched on Spurs there. Uh, they host Chelsea, uh, which has always been a bit of a fiery game in the past. Um, two teams on kind of different different uh, ends of the spectrum at the minute in terms of points and uh, performances. Tomo, fancy Spurs at home there against Chelsea? Yeah, I do really, just because, just because basically that there's basically just because Spurs are better. <laughs> it's as simple as that. You can dress it up as much as you want, but um, Chelsea seem to be good between the boxes. Um, I haven't got that killer instinct. We spoke a lot about them and Nico Jackson's flaws, I suppose. And um, and Tottenham didn't have a game midweek because obviously they're up out of the Carabao Cup. So got a lot of rest, a lot of time on a training pitch. And they're at home. Just fancy Madison and Sonny to do the business. Um, I think Chelsea are a year off, basically. A year off being any good. Um because because they just how many sort of new players they've brought in and etc. So yeah, Spurs to win that one. Yeah, I can't make a case for Chelsea winning that game at all. Like even even like if they were playing like not a Villa are a good side this year, but a Villa or a Brighton or any of the sort of mid to upper half teams. Like normally there's a player where you think oh if he has a good day it could be trouble, but you can Chelsea can't score a goal. And although they've got some good players in there in in sort of Enzo and Sterling, I just don't think teams are looking at Nicholas Jackson and Cole Palmer and, and having kittens about it at all. And I think if Tottenham just go out and give an 8 out of 10 performance like they've been doing for most of the season, I think they'll just walk over Chelsea and I think that could be like 3-0. And it's only because their name's Chelsea we think it's a massive game. But really, they're a mid-table team, aren't they, at the moment, all things considered. So it's more like Tottenham v like Wolves or someone like that. And then you'd be thinking, well, it's definitely a Spurs win. So on paper, it looks a massive fixture. But um, yeah, I fancy Angie's men to march on, and I, you know, I think they'll have much more difficult tests than than Chelsea this season. Yeah, and the only thing with Spurs is they do have a bit of a well, they've got a terrible record against Chelsea. They've only won two of their last um, fourteen games against Chelsea, um, but just just these two teams are completely different. And yeah. I, think, I think Spurs have passed a lot of tests um, this season already, like we spoke about, and I think they'll pass this test as well. And I saw Romero was up for player of the month as well. So we, we sort of talk a lot about Madison and Son and even the midfielders. But And I know we have touched on the whole of the team, really. But he's obviously um, making an impression back at centre-back. He looked really good when he came in, then maybe had some injury problems. Um, but he looks like he's back to his best as well. So if they've got that spine going through the midfield of of Romero, maybe Basuma, Madison, Son, suddenly it's looking 
really, really decent. And every single time someone wins a league, you normally have that kind of spine of players. Um, thinking back to like Company, Torre, Aguero, or, you know, I don't know, Yapstam, Roy Keane, Andy Cole, whatever. Lampard, Lampard, Terry Drogba. Normally you have that kind of bit through the middle of the park that you base your whole team and success around. And I think Tottenham are looking like they're somewhere near that at the moment. But yeah. sitting on the fence a little bit, I don't think they're quite at that kind of level, but good signs nonetheless. Tomo, sorry to um, tread on your territory here, but I saw something yesterday that Sky Sports Premier League tweeted, which was how important are expected goals. So here's how Premier League teams would have won and lost if XG alone was the deciding factor. And Chelsea would be top of the league uh, alongside Man City. They've had higher XG in nine out of their 10 games uh, and would have only lost one. Then you've got Man City, nine nine and one, uh, Brighton and Newcastle, eight and two. And then Arsenal, Brentford, Liverpool, seven uh, and Tottenham, seven and three. So the only thing for Chelsea is this whole putting the ball in the back of the net. And, and I've seen Pochettino has come out and said Nico Jackson's in like a bad space at the minute and talking about how he's in a bad run of form and things aren't going well for him. And he needs sort of a bit of the pressure taken off and that sort of thing. But I know we touched on it every week, but um, Chelsea are well in games, aren't they? They're creating chances. It's just putting the ball in the back of the net, which is obviously important. But uh, that could be a tiny little glimmer of hope for them. Do you think... Um, well, this Nkuku is going to be a big plus when he comes back. I'm not sure how far away he is. Um, but that those little stats there just makes me think, well, you li- your eyes don't lie to you, do they? Like, we all know that Chelsea have been quite good box to box, in between, but they haven't been able to put the ball in the back of the net. So we're not saying that they're terrible. Um, they create enough chances, they just can't finish them. And obviously the stats back it up. Um, and you touched on them kind of maybe being a next year side. Do you think that their ownership will be patient with Pochettino and be like, look, we just need to, you know, like Arsenal did a couple of seasons, almost write off these seasons and give the manager time? Because I remember Arteta got fairly close, didn't he, to get in the boot, but managed to ride the storm. And now, look, do you think Pochettino get time? Yeah, they've, they, they've got no choice, really. I think they, I don't know how how many years contract he's got, but I'm assuming it's above five. Um because they've given everyone else an eight-year contract. Um, So, yeah, unless it gets really toxic and really, really bad, then, um, then, yeah. And it's his first season, so I wouldn't wouldn't be panicking too much at Chelsea. Um, You've got to remember what they come from last year. They were fucking awful. Um, So there's been some encouraging signs. They just can't finish. Yeah, the, it's, you can identify the problem at Chelsea, can't you? They, yeah. they can't score goals. It's not the manager. He's got them playing quite well as well. You're not going to find anyone better than Maurizio Pochettino at the moment. Once they get it clicking in the forward areas, which probably means Nkuken coming back from injury and signing another striker, then they will be a force. And then you can judge him with, a again, full deck of cards. But at the moment, he's handicapped a little bit, I think, um, just in those forward areas. And that's the problem. So there's no point changing the manager. Obviously, like, like you say, unless they start getting trounced every week. He, they, Chelsea could be one viable option for Ivan Tony, isn't it? Where like their ownership's like trying to like price everyone out the water and be like, yeah, he's a hundred mil now or eighty mil in the summer. That Todd Bowley might just be like, oh yeah, all right, here you go then. We'll have him in Jan, and that could be some goals for them. So, um, yeah, interesting game. I, I do agree with you boys. I think Spurs will will win that comfortably, just the trajectory that those two sides are on. But um, there is hope there for for Chelsea and Chelsea fans. 
Um, move on. So another game, uh, Forest uh, hosts Villa. We've had a couple of uh, requests from listeners about speaking a little bit more about Villa um, and probably rightly so. I think we do. We have mentioned some of them and their good form and how you know Emery's got them, but um, probably speak about them in a bit more detail. Uh, Loro, a side absolutely flying at the minute in Villa. Just a bit on them and if you fancy them away at Forest. Well, yeah, definitely fancy them away at Forest. Um, I think the big sort of... Um running positivity for Villa at the moment is their home form. Is it 12 in a row now, I think, which is very, very good um, for any team. So if you can make your you know, your home ground a fortress, one, it means the positivity around the place is going to be sky high because everyone's seeing winning football every week. And two, obviously the points accumulate and you start looking like a good side. And like I said last week, they're five points above sixth place, lying in fifth. That's sort of almost dizzy heights for Villa. Um, but they're a club that kind of have been threatening to do something for a while now. I think um, sort of even the, in the Gerard era, when they started signing players like Coutinho, you could see the ambition was there and maybe maybe not the right personnel all over. But the, obviously the introduction of Unai Emery, he's come in. Yes, they've got a very good squad, well-balanced, good experience, good youth, um, good defensive options, good attacking options. They look good all over the park. Um, but that the introduction of, of Unai Emery, uh, a manager who's obviously sort of had his ups and downs, but at quite a high level um, in in Europe and um, in domestic form as well. He's doing a very good job. And I, I read an article this morning from Jamie Carragher saying Villa's bigger prob- biggest problem at the minute is he's almost doing too good a job. And the next time a big club in Europe need a manager, he's probably going to be back on the radar. I know he's already been to the, some top clubs before and he sort of had to come back down to earth a little bit with... Um, his Villarreal, de- Villarreal days and now Aston Villa, but are they going to be able to scathe off, you know, Chelsea or uh, Real Madrid or whoever might be looking for a manager in the next six months in a um, who are in European competitions and have a sort of a bigger history than Villa? So that'd be interesting to see. But at the moment, they seem to be a team that have got players in form all over the pitch every single week. If you look at Villa's fixture, you never think they're going to lose, no matter who they're playing. And uh, yeah, long may it continue because it's good to see some new blood in that top six. And I fancy them to go close um, to getting a European spot this year. But uh, yeah, hopefully the home form can continue. And maybe if they can, I mean, they definitely need to be beating teams like Forest away if they want to be taken seriously in terms of a a European contender. But I think they will comfortably this weekend. And uh, yeah, look forward to seeing the Villa train roll on. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, kind of agreed. The thing is with Unai Emery, and I think, over the course of his career, he's. See- oh, I know what you're saying. Like, if a Real Madrid comes in, you could, like you can't ever say no to Real Madrid, I guess. But over the course of his career, you look at his stint at maybe PSG and Arsenal, two of the big clubs. It's not quite worked out for him. Whereas he's just on that level below with your Sevilla, Villarreal, and now Villa, where he's obviously he's making almost like. He's better off at clubs who aren't quite at that level because the expectations aren't aren't that you need to win every single match in the league. And obviously, he's he's got a very good record in cup competitions. So it'd be interesting to see how Villa get on in the Conference League. I I wonder if he's at that stage of his career where he's just like, no, this is me now, and I'm happy yeah. at a club like Villa. And at the end of the day, Villa are no paupers, are they? They I think their owners are like the second or third richest in the whole of the league um, behind Saudi and City. Um, so they've got some serious money and 
serious ambition. So I think I don't see them having too much of an issue um, keeping hold of him because their ambition, like the club's ambition, matches his. And they're already, yeah, like said, they're already in Europe now, aren't they? So yeah, and to be to be fair, yeah, but getting in Europe, but obviously becoming a consistent European team in the from the Premier League, which Villa will want to do. But in response to that Carragher article, one of the Villa fans, one of the Villa fans put, "That's a bit lazy. You haven't looked into it enough." I and mean, was basically saying that Unai Emery has basically been given full control at Aston Villa, which maybe ties up with. Oh, big fish, small pond, but he prefers to be at a club where he's the big name rather than having to go and prove himself at a bigger club. And like you say, maybe he's found a place in Villa where he's going to have a similar sort of budget to maybe the top teams, but will also have more autonomy to do what he wants and implement everything that he wants to happen um, than maybe he would at a top European club. So yeah, maybe it is just, you know, um, square pegs and square holes and if it is, that's a very good sign. But uh, I'm just looking at that, like the team that played last week in the bench. They've just got quality all over the pitch, really. So they are going to be a, a nightmare for anyone to play against, particularly yeah. in this sort of positive vein of form that they've got, not just on the pitch, but off it with the fans and that this sort of momentum building up from the 12 win, home wins in a row. So, yeah, be interesting to see who is the first team to beat them at Villa Park this season. But you wouldn't be surprised if it's a little longer until that happens. Yeah, and um, just a quick one on Forest. They, they've they sneakily had a bit of a, a dead run. They haven't won a game since September the 2nd. Yeah. So um, I think they drew a couple in that time, but they actually haven't won a game since they beat Chelsea. Um, so the pressure's building a little bit on Cooper, I think. Um yeah, I mean, he rode the storm so well last season, didn't he? That I think while they're uh, they're going as they are, he'll be fine. But they've had a couple of bad ones, haven't they? I think they were winning against Luton, weren't they? And then managed to concede late. Drew with Palace, Drew with Brentford, Drew with Burnley. And as I say, if those draws are bookended by losses, then they they look like drop points, don't they? As opposed to potentially okay results. So yeah, he'll be looking for a uh, a win there. Just on Villa as well, I think touched on the amount of money that their ownership has got. Um, I therefore think that they won't they won't be pressured into having to sell players like you know like they'll they'll name big prices for your likes of your Ollie Watkins your Dougie Louises they obviously bought Diaby in who's balling now as well it's like they don't necessarily need to sell them and while they've got while they're playing like they are and hopefully they're in the conference league this year they'll maybe be looking at can we get into definitely Europa this year but if there's going to be five places for the Prem for Champs League sneak that Champs League space then the players might not want to leave either they've got a good structure there big side big fan base so yeah great times to be a uh, a Villa fan um, and I agree I think they'll go and win at Forest and they've got some decent looking fixtures coming up as well um, so that's the 2pm kickoff on Super Sunday the half four uh, is at Kenilworth Road and Liverpool go to Luton this is a game I am shitting myself about because I don't have Salah in my fantasy team uh, and I think that sounds like one of those games where you'll just see that someone in your league's got him captain and he goes and scores five there can Tomo give me any kind of reason why Luton will get anything at home to Liverpool? Um, I'm I'm going to back Luton. Um, and there's no logical reason because everything in the form and Liverpool obviously great at the minute. I just think at one stage this year, Luton will get a big win at Kenilworth Road against a big club. So, and it most likely it will be against Man United, but yeah. Yeah, but but just because it's four four thirty on a Sunday, I just yeah, I just fancy Luton to just 
come up with like a like a third round FA Cup giant killing shocking performance. So yeah, but don't don't bet on it. <laughs> we certainly won't be betting on that horseshit prediction. Um, you're right. They, they, they them beating Man United isn't com- um, comparable, is it? To them beating Liverpool at the moment, and they've had a famous FA Cup third round game against Liverpool in the past. And uh, you might remember Xabi Alonso scoring from the halfway line at Kenilworth Road. And that's what probably one of his most famous goals to be scored at Kenilworth Road. So, um, yeah, if they are going to have a big win at home this season against a big side, I, I really don't think it's going to come against an in-form Liverpool 2.0 reloaded that are uh, are on fire on all fronts at the moment. They had a good win in the Carabao Cup away at Bournemouth in the week. And, uh, yeah, I don't think Liverpool are in the mood to be taking any prisoners at the moment. I think that would be a bit of a rollicking, to be honest with you. Yeah, I've had to bring Simicass in because that's all I can afford to do in my FPL side in the hope that he can get some assists and a clean sheet. Um, just quickly for you, Ron, did you um do you see Darwin Nunes' goal in the uh, Carabao Cup? Is there anything more Darwin Nunes than a long ball coming in from Trent and him miscontrolling it and it looking like it's running out and the fans starting jeering him? So he decides to just cut in and bend it in from about 30 yards with an absolute thunder bastard just straight in, just as Darwin Nunes as it gets that in the Captain Box Chaos. Office. Yeah, but yeah. The, you know what? He must be so hard to defend against because there's just... I don't even think he knows what he's doing. No. Let alone, let alone sort of predicting what he's doing. So, yeah. Yeah. I, lo- I love Nunes. Love watching him. I'd love to have him in my side. And they've got options. He doesn't have to play every minute of every game, but great option to have just to have a bit of... Like, he can do four things crap but then he can pick it up on the touchline and smash it into the top corner and or do what he did against Liverpool. Uh, sorry, against Newcastle earlier on in the season and just win them the game. Yeah. Pick up three points. So it's great to have someone like that in the ranks. Yeah. United were linked so heavily with him. And then all of a sudden Liverpool just did what decent sides do and just pounced and, and got him. And I was really gutted. And then you watched him in his first season. He obviously had that red card didn't he for the headbutt and then was was missing chances and he thought he dodged a bullet there but the more that you see him you just think how perfect he'd be at somewhere like United just someone with a proper bit of fire in his belly bit of passion and um on the cusp of of being brilliant but actually saying that someone who's on that cusp maybe Man United isn't the right club because it only tends to go one way um at United for that we will quick, uh, quickly touch on it. So lunchtime tomorrow, Tomo, uh, we go to Craven Cottage. I think a place we went last year in Garnacho kind of burst on the scene with a 96th minute winner. Um, I think we won't labour on United too much, but really, really, really important for Ten Hag that United come away with three points there. Yeah, well, I think no matter really what happens on, on Saturday, the writing's on the wall, to be honest. We've... we've lost five out of ten Premier League games, haven't we, so far? Um, which is their most defeats from the opening ten games of a league campaign since 1986. So, breaking records this season. Um, I I just can't see... like the way, the way we played on Wednesday, definitely for me, it feels like the players are down in tools. And even the players that Ten Hag has fully backed and um, like your Antonis... Um, of and Mason Mount, he's supposed to be his hit like they they look like they're not trying to lick for him. So and Fulham got a good win in the week, didn't they? Um against inform Ipswich. Um and it's at Craven Cottage. I just fan- I fancy Fulham, which is I know it's depressing, but yeah. 
Yeah, they're they're over two to one, Loro, at home against Man United. Is that the sort of uh, odds you'd like the look of for Fulham? Yeah, yeah, that is the sort of odds I like the look of, man. I, I, I fancy Fulham. I don't think that's. I don't think that'd be an upset. I I will be surprised if Man United win that game. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Which is saying something, isn't it? I just, you know, got a good manager, Marco Silva. They sort of. I know they've been a little bit modest at their start of the season, Fulham, and maybe lacking goals themselves, but. I, I could see that being like 3-0. Genuinely, I think Fulham can just go and batter United tomorrow and it'll be another one of those kind of heads go further down and everyone trudging off the pitch, just waiting for the manager to be sacked. We kind of I feel I feel like we're in that that period of this cycle of United now, where it's just the players walk off the pitch quick as possible, just wait for the manager to be sacked, and we'll wait for the next honeymoon period to paper over the cracks. Yeah, you're you're right. You can kind of see it, can't you? That sort of a Craven Cottage at the end, where it's like Ten Hag in front of the fans and like one other player, and then like it's like, look, Captain Fernandez has trudged down the the tunnel without even applauding the fans and stuff like that. Um, United have got a little run of fixtures now, which I think he needs to win all of. Um, they are Fulham, Luton, and Everton, and then they've got Copenhagen as well. Um, in the Champs League and I, I honestly don't think he can slip up in any of them I don't think it's suddenly going to be win on Saturday and it's pressure off I think it could be the next loss is is when United start really starting to think about it but who on earth they bring in as manager um, remains to be seen but yeah I completely agree I think Fulham will beat United there I think they'll do it fairly comfortably um, I just don't know who's going to put the ball in the back of the net for either side in that game Little roundup of the rest of the games. Um, Everton host Brighton. I think Brighton would have been firm favourites for that uh, for large parts of this season. But Everton look like they've turned a corner, don't they, Laura? And you touched on DCL, uh, Calvert-Lewin and, and Jack Harrison potentially being a little partnership that could get Everton out of trouble there. And uh, Calvert-Lewin started putting the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, and I hope Everton do win that because last season when Leeds needed Brighton to do us a favour... Um, against Everton, they decided to lose 5-0. So don't be going to Everton and winning now, Brighton. You, they've got your number and yes. Dominic Calvert-Lewin is a game changer. I said it earlier. So, sometimes it's just in these sort of mid uh, these mid-table Premier League teams that can go south or north is depicted by their best player being fit and Dominic Calvert-Lewin is that focal point for them and he brings everyone else into it rather than just having Decore up there with... I mean, by the way, how's your man Beto getting on? Well, I mean, I've not even a... heard the name for the last two months, but yeah, yes, he's you're, actually... you're quite right. I, I, I'm not sure I fancy Everton to win that game. Um, facetiousness aside, I think you know, obviously, Brighton a better side, but whilst they've got that Calvert Lewin focal point with the you know, bringing everyone into play, they're a much harder team to play against. Maybe Goodison Park can go back to being some somewhere near the fortress or a hard place to go that it used to be. So, difficult game, um, for, for Brighton, but one that I would expect them to win as I did last year. I think Beto's been an absolute masterstroke in regards to come in and giving Dominic Calvert-Lewin something to think about, about keeping his place in the side or regaining it. And it's lit a fire under Calvert-Lewin. So complete masterstroke from Everton and Dyche. And yeah, it looks like Beto's going to play a major part in keeping Everton safe this year. So well done to the big man. A um, couple of other fixtures, boys. So Man City uh, beat Bournemouth 6-0. 
um that's on tomorrow so get all your money on Haaland for a hat trick and and maybe even triple captain him Brentford versus West Ham um which looks a decent London London derby and decent fixture Burnley host Palace again Vincent Company desperate for a win there we'll need to get that against Palace uh, and then Sheffield United versus Wolves again Sheffield United gaffer be looking desperate for a win there but Wolves are looking in decent form and fancy them to to go and get something uh at Bramall Lane We'll move on to the championship, boys, um, and Pyramid Pod Cup. So we touched on Southampton, um, obviously winning and and getting the uh, cup in their hands. They're unbeaten in six. They go to Millwall, who've drawn three of their last four games. Uh, Laura, interesting point on Millwall is that their new manager, Hunt, is continuing unless anything's happened this morning. But um, a familiar name for Yeovil fans in Nathan Jones link for the job there. Just thoughts on that, that move if it materialised us? I can see the logic because I guess Millwall may be not too far away from Luton in regards to smaller championship London club with probably more of a modest budget than a lot of teams. And you look at what Nathan Jones did with Luton um, in both of his spells there, and it was very impressive. So maybe they're thinking he can come in, maybe not on a shoestring budget, but be more of an on-the-grass manager and make Millwall into a very difficult team to beat and pick up results that way. It's just, the, the problem is with Nathan Jones is anywhere other than Luton, and I'm talking about Stoke and in particular Southampton, but both were really bad spells. He's um, shit the bed for want of a better expression. So <laughs> his next job is probably going to define his career, I think, because you've got two very good spells at Luton and two absolute train wrecks um, at bigger clubs. Millwall is obviously more in the mould of Luton, and I can see why it would be an appointment that makes some logic. Um, in some headspaces, but he's going to have a lot to prove because obviously his most recent stint was going up to Southampton and uh, or going down to Southampton and talking about how you know um, he could have stayed in Wales and married a nice little Welsh girl, but he wanted to push himself into the Premier League and that's why he went there and lost every game and lasted five minutes. So um, yeah, points to prove for Nathan Jones, but Millwall, I can see it. And just Tomo on that game, fancy Southampton to continue to hold the cup or fancy it to move over to the den for a spell um yeah no i fancy southampton then they've hit a run of form and they um flynn downs is is playing well at the minute i think he's got himself into the team um obviously they've got uh, armstrong up front uh, yeah southampton favorites and i think southampton win happy days it's quite nice actually that we're starting to get to the point of the FA Cup starting up so whichever of those championship sides have got it will then uh, hopefully we'll be looking out for a bit of a uh, cup set against the League One or League Two sides uh, for the cup when that comes round so keep an eye on that one a uh, couple of other fixtures to talk about in the championship uh, tonight is first place Leicester hosting third place Leeds Laurie you must be absolutely buzzing for that one um, think Leeds can go and get something there yeah, definitely. I think uh, just sit back and enjoy that one. That would be a great advert for the championship. I think that's two of the strongest sides that the championship's seen in a long, long time. Leicester and Leeds both got... Very, it'd be really interesting to see how they set up tactically. Um, you'd imagine Leicester are going to be aware that Leeds are very quick on the transition and breaking at the moment. Not just with Somerville and, and James's pace, but Rutter's link-up play has been something to behold this season. So it, it will be intriguing to see whether they push the button early and try and 
keep the onus on them as they're at home and top of the league to go for it. But let's be honest, the other thing for Leicester is it's a little bit of a, they're not going to want to lose the game, but they've got so much breathing space. They they don't really have that sort of jeopardy feeling of, oh, if we lose this, then Leeds are going to be breathing down on next. We need to win about five games and then lose five games to be in contention. So it's not going to be one that swings the season, but it, you never know. It could be one that starts a run um, or, you know, stops the rot or the opposite of stopping the rot for Leicester and maybe sets them in. Um, T-Girl's brother just texted me and asked me if there was any value in these tonight I looked at the odds and we're 2-1 to one, and I think that's probably about right you wouldn't want to put us too high because we've got a lot of quality and could beat anyone in that league on our day but at the same time Leicester have won every single game bar one and looked magnificent so don't know what the score's going to be I think I've told I think I've told a few of the boys this season um, this week I fancy three all but that's just me sitting on the fence thinking there's going to be lots of goals. It'll be a good game and you can't really pick which way it goes. Obviously hoping for a Leeds win, but yeah, just sit back and enjoy it because that's going to be a really good occasion for the championship. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that could be an act, like that could be a perfect storm for Leeds where you just said there, like your counter-attacking um, sort of type of players like Somerville, James, obviously Nonto, he's he's not, he didn't start today on the weekend, but he come on. Um yeah. If if you can get those players playing, because you, you'd expect Leicester to to dominate possession, um, yeah. so I think it could be a perfect storm where you just where you just hit hit and run on the counter attack and get a couple. Yeah, so I'm really interested to that get see that game tonight. Yeah, I hope Leeds go on and uh, and win that just for the sake of the championship. You've boys have touched on Dan James Somerville. Um, Laurie spoke on, about Rutter on a previous pod as well. He looks a bit of a cheat code, and then Joel Pirro is obviously scoring as well. So I just really hope that that front four all click and they go and get something. And they say maybe just uh, sets a bit of a rotten place for Leicester to drop a few points and just bridge that gap um, between first and second and the rest of the league because obviously there's loads of teams chomping at, at each other's heels at that bit, but just a bit of a gap opening up between the top two. He is due a goal though, Piro. You say he scored, but he hasn't scored in a while actually. Um, for someone of his calibre, and for someone who scored more championship goals than anyone else in the last two and a half years, um, it's okay whilst we're winning. But I do want to see him score soon. And we have got Patrick Bamford, Willie Notto, Jaden Anthony on the bench as well. So lots of options to change it as and when and freshen up if we need to. Um, but just a sort of. I don't know, stamp the card a little bit. I have noticed that Piro hasn't scored in a while. But what a place it would be to go and do it at the King Power tonight. Yeah, good point. Good point. I think I've seen, you know, Leeds have scored four against Huddersfield and three at Norwich. Um, but if he's not scored in that and his last goal was against Bristol City, then yeah, he is probably overdue one with what his goal record yeah. looks like. So hopefully tonight for Joel. Um, we just touched on the uh, top two sides, obviously, uh, building a bit of a gap for the rest of the league. Ipswich go to Birmingham, uh, where Rooney is now absolutely desperate for a winner at Birmingham and that just keeps looking worse and worse, uh, that move. But Ipswich obviously go to Birmingham and I think, again, the rest of the league will be looking for Birmingham to try and get something there. And that might be what kickstarts Rooney's uh, time in charge at Birmingham if they can uh, beat Ipswich there. And then another game, 5th v 7th, West Brom versus Hull. I think two teams who've spoken about a little bit in the in the pod about West Brom keeping a good side and Rossini are doing a good job at Hull. But again, one of those games where a win kind of might traject them up towards third or fourth in the in the table, but a loss and suddenly you're in ninth or tenth just with the beauty of how the league is there. So a couple of intriguing games there across the 
championship um and we'll be looking forward to to seeing who comes out on top on those just before we move on um just wanted to touch Lauro on Bristol City so a side that is fairly close to us uh geographically um they're obviously uh sacked Nigel Pearson and they're looking for a new manager two names that seem to be strong contenders for that is Eustace who obviously uh we've spoken about with with Birmingham before uh but also looks like Frank Lampard in the mix there uh which is a bit more of a, a big name but's had a mixed time as uh as manager just thoughts on which way they'll go for that and, and which one he thinks best I think John Eustace would be the better fit again I've seen the kind of criteria they're looking for is a, a an on the grass manager and obviously uh, they've been hampered with their budget a little bit in in recent years and they've had to sort of rely on bringing youngsters through but they've done that very well um and some of their best players are those players now and I think John Eustace has particularly been in the championship this season and already done well would would fit the bill perfectly for them, um, but Frank Lampard's one to four on. It sounds like he's got the job, which I think is a hell of a roll of the dice. I mean, I actually quite rated Frank Lampard when he was Derby manager, albeit I didn't like how his season culminated in knocking Leeds out of the playoffs. Um, but he did quite a good job there. But he did a good job there with Mason Mount on loan, Harry Wilson on loan, Fakayo Tomori on loan. It's not going to be like that at Bristol City. This is a team where you need to go in and get players overachieving to try and build Bristol City up the league because Nigel Pearson's been sacked because they don't think being 15th in the championship is good enough. Well, if you don't want to be 15th in the championship, you you are going to have to overachieve as Bristol City because everyone else has got a lot more money to spend on players than they have. So, um, yeah, I, I think Eustace would be the best fit, but Lampard's obviously a big name, a roll of the dice, and he did do a decent job in the championship, I think before but it was four and a half years ago and it was with a completely different set of circumstances financially yeah the one thing about i've noticed about lampard i don't know if you boys agree with me is over his what four years as a manager i've noticed that every time they lose he always talks about his players as them like as a like as a separate thing from him and every time they win he's like we won and i just think I, I just I know that's a small sort of small detail, but I just don't like the way. I, I just I can't see him creating this really good like us versus the world mentality in a dressing room, um, yeah. and yeah, I don't see if he does get it, which I do expect him to get because of the fact he's a bigger name. He'll be able to probably you like to think he'd be able to attract some sort of good loan signings from Chelsea potentially. Um, yeah. But yeah, other than that, I can't see him doing a good job. No, I just I, I just worry about Frank Lampard's like temperament to be a manager. I mean, and that sort of fits in with what you're saying as well. But particularly at like Everton, and even at Derby to some extent, when th- like I remember the big Spygate thing with Bielsa, he you can see he gets rattled easily. And then at Everton, you could see that he with the pressure, he looked like a broken man week after week. And it maybe that comes from experience because he's had a very he's managed a few clubs now, but all very different jobs, Derby in the Championship, Chelsea in the Champions League, Everton relegation battle. Maybe that will culminate in him being a much better manager now, but he speaks really well, Frank Lampard, and obviously has had a fantastic career and is going to gain the respect of the players in that regard. But I just think, is it that not getting too high when with the highs, not getting too lows with the low bit that he struggles with a little bit? Um, but if he goes to Bristol City, we shall see. The, the only thing I say with with Lampard as well is I question whether 
he's someone and this goes out to most big names who maybe drop down a few divisions to manage is when you're so used to standards and quality of his playing days that he had at Chelsea and I even think when he was in charge at Chelsea he touched on this towards the end of his tenure that training's completely different you think you know he used to have sort of your Terry's your Essien Shevchenko's all of the Balak's all of these people who probably were so on it in training and like driving this kind of culture of like high performance and like everything was so like to the the highest level possible can you then go and get a group of players who you who've played who play a way lower standard than you have and probably what Lampard in his head still thinks he's capable of and get them going and accept that they're not going to be at that absolute elite Chelsea level Um, and I think he struggled with that with all sides he's been at because Chelsea when he's had been in charge of them have never been that old Chelsea level Everton was obviously relegation Derby did okay at um, admittedly but um, I think that's the biggest concern for him and I I think Bristol City would be way better off going with Eustace than Lampard but it looks like they're going to go with Lampard so we will see how that pans out for them Uh, No League One or League Two action uh, this weekend, boys, as it's the first round proper of the FA Cup. Um, Laurie, we'll come to you in a minute to talk about Yeovil, but there's one game that I've seen that's on Sunday lunchtime, which looks really interesting. That's uh, Portsmouth go to Chesterfield. Uh, Chesterfield absolutely running away with it in the National League or certainly uh, picking up some some massive wins in that league and and, uh, look like they'll be going up. But Portsmouth's obviously flying as well in League One. So everyone talks about the quality of National League. We're seeing that Wrexham and Notts County stepping up and doing the business in League Two as well. Might be a bit of a bridge too far for them against Portsmouth, but I think that'd be a really interesting game at lunchtime, Laura. Yeah, I agree. And you're right. I think in the last few years particularly, it feels like the gap between National League and League One isn't as big. And you've had some players that have been willing to come down like your Paul Mullins to go I know slightly different Wrexham, but Paddy Madden did the same. Lots of players seem to jump between League One, League Two and the National League a lot more freely than they used to. And Chesterfield are a very, very good side um, who would be running away with the league if it wasn't for Barnett, who are kind of keeping pace with them. And Portsmouth are obviously, I think, 26 games unbeaten now, which is one of the longest runs, I think, ever in the EFL, in the top 10, I think I saw they broke into the other day. So, yeah, you're right. That's a very interesting game. And it will be, I mean, dependent on how important each team views it as to who starts for them, I suppose. Um, we've, we've obviously league campaigns to think about both being sets off the league. But yeah, that does stand out as a bit of a mouthwatering one. And it will be interesting to see how Chesterville compete um, against obviously the best league one side at the moment. Yeah, and then just another one to talk about, Lauro. Um, Yeovil hosting Gateshead, another National League side Gateshead in action uh, going to Yeovil. But Yeovil obviously in great form and Gateshead lost there management side and their their run of uh, forms just starting to turn a bit. So, you fancy Yeovil? I don't know. I fancy a really, really good game, though, if it's on. because Obviously, the weather down here has not been great at the moment. There is a pitch inspection today. But if it's on, um, one thing neither manager wants is a draw. Because at this time of the year, particularly in Yeovil's league, the fixture congestion is absolutely massive. We're already Saturday, Tuesday. Um, Yeovil have got a big game against Torquay on Tuesday which they won't want rearranged because they've got to have a replay and obviously both teams are at the other end of the country it's like a seven hour drive down I think from Gateshead to Yeovil so if that's nil-nil I would be very very surprised I think you're just going to see two sides there absolutely go for it and think if we lose we lose Um, 
But if we win, we might as well do so in, in good style. So Mark Cooper said he's going to run on and score an own goal if it's nil-nil in the 90th minute. I think we'd rather, I genuinely think we'd rather lose than, than draw and go out to Gateshead on Tuesday night. So I'm Mikey, expecting a yeah. good game if it's on. Good stuff, yeah. Well, get yourself to Hewish Park if you've got nothing else to do on a rainy Saturday afternoon tomorrow if the game's on. Um, so we host Gateshead. Boys, we'll finish with the Pyramid Pod uh, treble. Tomo, come to you first. I'm guessing you're going for Man City at 1-12 to on home to Bournemouth. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, and this one's going to piss you boys off, but I'm going to go for Birmingham 3-1 to at home to Ipswich. Lauro. <laughs> Treble's over, but go on. So T-Girls just predicted that Ipswich are going to lose their second game of the season to Mooney Rooney's Birmingham. Which yeah, is yeah. So this is all a bit of a, uh, all a bit of bit of a procession for me and you. But I'm going to go Rotherham at home to QPR. I think 13 to eight is very good odds for a team playing QPR wherever it is, but particularly at home. So yeah, I think that's good odds. Brilliant. I'm going to go for Bristol City at home to Sheffield Wednesday. Sheffield Wednesday, obviously, bottom of the league. Their owners only just paid their players their month's wages. Bristol City on the cusp of getting a new manager, so maybe players playing for to get in uh, Frank Lampard or Eustace as I. I think 11 to 10 above evens at home to Sheffield Wednesday is unbelievable odds. So that's, that's 21. That's 21 to 1. Unbelievable. So as Tomo said last week, if you put £10 on that, you will lose £10. But no, uh, 220 quid back. It's about time we got one over the line. If uh, Mooney Rooney's Birmingham can do the business, maybe we will win some much needed funds for the Pyramid Pod treble. Uh, boys, that's all we got time for. We'll be back on Monday where we will uh, review all of the Premier League uh, Championship and FA Cup action and look ahead to midweek Champions League. But pleasure as always, boys. Have a great weekend. Cheers, boys. Cheers, boys. One, two, three.